We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What is up? Welcome to the uncontested podcast post-game edition. Second night of a back-to-back with the Thunder fall to the Memphis Grizzlies 122-113. to I'm your host, Jacob Niffin, and we are joined tonight by special guest, uh, Podcast Network Buddy. Hopefully you know him as the host of the Fast Break Breakfast Podcast and Grits and Grinds Podcast. Coming to us from Tennessee, we've got Keith Parrish with us. Keith, how's it going, man? Uh, good, Jacob. How are you doing? I'm I'm doing well. It's uh, you know, would have liked to see the Thunder make this game a little more competitive down the stretch, but uh, always a fun night full of basketball. I gotta tell you, Keith, as somebody who covers a team that is like actively gunning for a top five pick, yeah, basketball is a lot less stressful now. So you have you've allowed yourself the stress free stress free lifestyle of just saying oh if we lose it's fine because we're moving up in the lottery standings. That's, exactly yes, yeah. and it's also an interesting like scoreboard watching across the league. Right, since the Thunder's control so many picks. Right, it's like oh I need this team to lose and I need this team to win and that team to win, but I need this team to lose, and so it's just like this really ridiculous like. You guys have that Miami pick, right? Yeah, so the Thunder get the the best two picks out of Miami, Houston, and their own this year. Oh, that's that's pretty nice. Yes, and then they also get the Golden State pick if it falls between 21 and 30. So oh. tonight, for instance, Golden State's playing Miami. So if Golden State wins that game, which would mean Miami lost that game, it's like a double whammy for the Thunder. So. That's a lot. I would feel like that scoreboard watching, it sounds delightful, but it should give you the freedom to just – wholeheartedly cheer for the thunder to win it's uh yeah it's a a little bit of that you know it's i think for a lot of thunder fans they view this as that miami pick or that houston pick is nice but the only pick they can really control as far as like where it's going to land is their own and personally i think that watching these young guys develop even if they lose games i mean the thunder starting lineup tonight was consisted of a whole bunch of guys aged 22 years or younger so right. it's really fun to watch that youth just get the experience and 
you know, if it's a loss, it's a loss. That's fine. But to really see them start to grow and mature while also trying to secure that top five pick, it's like a double whammy. It's good on both ends, I think. Yeah. So, all right, well, let's dive into this game. Like I mentioned, the Thunder lose 113-122. to 122. Keith, this was a tight game really all the way through, and then Memphis really started to pull away there in that fourth quarter, uh, really because the Thunder decided to foul the crap out of Memphis there in the first <laughs> yeah. two or three minutes. Yeah. And then the Grizzlies just lived from the free, lived at the free throw line from there on out. Yeah, I mean, as a Grizzlies fan, I think we are had this small market energy where we're always complaining about the referees not giving Jamarant calls and not giving the rest of our players calls. I felt like watching it from my house um, in Tennessee, like in the first quarter, Kyle Anderson got a couple of calls that were kind of soft on the like spectrum of foul calls. And like they gave him the benefit of the doubt. And I was like, OK, if we get those calls, this is going to be a good night. And I, I do feel like, you know, I think the Grizzlies tonight actually out talented their opponent, which, which isn't always the case. Um, with, you know, what with Horford not playing and with the Thunder playing so many of their younger guys they're developing. But it was good to see on a night where it felt disjointed from the Grizzlies that, yes, the referees were also uh, calling the fouls. I mean, I think most of them are legitimate. I don't feel like it was refed unfairly, but um, when it did seem like, you know, uh, contact was going to be rewarded with the whistle, then the, the Grizzlies had enough veterans that were able to take advantage of that, and it, it did play a big role in causing the outcome to go in Grizzlies' favor. Definitely. No, I think that coupled with the Thunder had 18 turnovers tonight. Yeah. A lot of live ball turnovers that led out to to Memphis fast break buckets uh, really kind of buried the Thunder. I mean, the Thunder shot 45% from the field, not super efficient, but it's fine. But 46% from three on 41 attempts. Yeah. Uh, pretty nice. 85% from the free throw line. But those turnovers and then just the free throws, uh, I mean, Grizzlies actually only had, what, five more free throws in the Thunder tonight. But it just felt like the the free throws that the Grizzlies got in the fourth quarter really kind of helped separate this game. Um, One thing that I I noticed that I thought was going to be a problem for the Thunder early on in this game and ended up proving to be so with OKC starting Isaiah Roby at center, yeah. uh, a kid that's six foot eight. He's uh, twenty three years old. He looks like he's still in middle school because he can't grow facial hair. Just got absolutely mauled by Jonas Valanciunas. The Thunder had nobody really physically to match up with him. Um, what did you think about Valanciunas's? performance? Well, Jonas Valanciunas is a beast, and he is especially a beast when he's playing someone worse than him. And while that statement might sound obvious, like Valanciunas is a guy specifically, if he's playing someone not as good as him, who he looks like an absolute all-star. And then if he's playing someone better than him, he, he struggles a lot. So like this matchup, I mean, I had that circled as well, that with Horford out, that the Grizzlies should have a big advantage in the paint with Valanciunas. And it definitely played out that way, where he, he's, he's skilled enough where if you're undersized, he's just going to feast the whole game, and that's what we saw. Definitely. I was actually surprised Memphis didn't go to him a little more often down low. A couple, not a couple of weeks ago, I think a week ago. Lose track of time now. The Thunder played the Minnesota Timberwolves, and even with Carl Towns out, uh, they still had Nas Reed, and it was the same sort of situation where Al Horford wasn't playing. The Thunder started Isaiah Roby in the second half. I mean, they just force-fed Nas Reed on the block, and he he just feasted. So I was actually kind of surprised that Valanchunas 
Uh, didn't get more opportunities than he did, but 22 points, 12 rebounds. I know a single game plus minus is noisy, but a team high plus 17 on the night. He was really good. And actually looking at the box score here, Memphis's like shot distribution from the starting five is incredibly balanced. Is that I don't watch. I'm going to be honest with you. I don't watch a ton of Memphis basketball. Is that typically the case? Uh, I mean, that's the goal. I would say usually, uh, like a, a Dylan Brooks spike here and there will will come out really high, and he might lead the team in shot attempts. But usually, they do spread the ball around. They're very egalitarian about their offense. It, it is a strength to some degree. When you play a good team, it becomes a weakness because no one is that good at creating their own shot. But yeah, I mean, that's one of the reasons the Grizzlies they lead the NBA in assists per game, and it's because they. they pass the ball a ton and they spread it around and I think that's the goal of Taylor Jenkins offense is just to get everyone involved everyone getting shots and I mean tonight was I guess it is a slight exception you have all five starters between 11 and 14 field goal attempts that is abnormal where it's that perfectly balanced so that that's like a, a really nice game from the Grizzlies where you know Kyle Anderson is hitting his shots Grayson Allen was on fire Dylan Brooks was under control and, and you get the result uh, in the win column probably because of that Definitely. I didn't realize until I think at the start of the fourth quarter that John Morant was flirting with a triple double, ends up getting at 15, 11, and 12, which is insane. On a really inefficient four of 14, though. Um, but what what have you seen from, from Jaw so far this year? And I'm assuming that four of 14 is, is probably an outlier. He's been uh, really good, especially at scoring the ball this year. But I did not expect that triple double tonight. It felt like it was a very quiet triple double. Yeah, I think it might reflect well on John Morant that, you know, you almost would call it a bad game. Like, he didn't have a great game, and he pulls out a triple-double, and he gets the win. And that's one of those exciting things for Grizzlies fans, where when John Morant doesn't look sharp, they're still getting a win. You're like, oh, man, like, he, he's filled up the box score. Like, last game against the Pelicans, he had a spectacular fantasy basketball game. I mean, he was scoring the ball, um, but he actually had kind of a bad game. And so that's one of those things where now there's this there's a spectrum of, you know, grading a player, and Ja has entered kind of the conversation of, like, he might be elite or he's close to becoming elite. And when you get there – Sometimes you put up these really good stat games, or at least decently good stat games, and he's struggling. And uh, to answer the question, like, what have we seen from him this year? It, it's been kind of a, a tale of two seasons where he, he twisted his ankle and was out for a little bit. Before he twisted his ankle, it was just a couple games, and he looked like a, I don't know, A-list superstar, where he was scoring a bunch. And we thought, wow, has John Morant turned this huge corner? Since his return, it's been a little more up and down. His shooting percentages have been way down Last season, I mean, off the top of my head, I think he shot 48% from the field. He was generally very efficient. He, he had a good shooting percentage for this season, and his shooting percentage has been weighed down recently. So we don't know if that's the effects of maybe lingering ankle injury, if it's the results of some of the depth pieces not being there. I mean, Desmond Bain... De'Anthony Melton are important pieces, and obviously Jaron Jackson Jr. hasn't been there all season, and so defenses are keying in a lot more on him. And some of the Grizzlies' losses, you've seen that, where teams are doubling John Morant really hard to get the ball out of his hand. The Thunder didn't really choose to do that, or at least they didn't execute that, as far as I could tell, in the game tonight. But, I mean, yeah, J Jaw's been... For him, a little bit down recently, but it's encouraging for us Grizzlies fans that he's still getting the results and still putting up some nice numbers, even when he's not at his peak. Very good. Well, tonight's game, kind of interesting in the fact that 
I feel like it was almost not even played. This was a rescheduled game that was supposed to have happened earlier in the season, but got uh, postponed, I think, due to COVID protocol. Uh, Ends up getting played tonight. The Thunder arrived in Memphis at 6 p.m. for the 8 p.m. tip. They tried to leave Oklahoma City post-game after their game against the Blazers last night. That flight got canceled due to the weather here in Oklahoma City. They didn't get wheels up until about, I think, 3 or 4 p.m., Uh, They left late this afternoon, arrived, went straight from the airplane uh, to the FedEx Forum to play this game. Uh, So surprising a little bit that this game even got played. But speaking of uh, team star point guards, Thunder gets Shea Gilgis-Alexander back tonight for the first night in uh, in about 10 real days, four games. Mm -hmm. Uh, He comes out 22-6-3. You know, uh, a a bit of a pedestrian game for Shea. I thought he started the game tonight really, really hot. I think he had like eight points on one shot at one point in time. Um, And then kind of struggled in the middle of the game and then came back in the fourth quarter and did some nice things. Eight of eight from the free throw line, two of five from three, six of 14 from the field. Uh, Keith, I want to pick your brain as somebody who doesn't really follow this Thunder team uh, and this Thunder team doesn't have any nationally televised games, so a lot of people don't get to to watch them. What are your feelings on Shea Gilgis-Alexander and what you saw from him this evening? Well, I mean, Shea Gilgis-Alexander is a guy who, uh, he scares me. He scared me coming into this game. I mean, because he's, he's, so, he's so good offensively, and he's so aggressive, and he feels like the kind of guy that particularly can trouble John Morant, because John Morant's not a great defender, and the way Shea attacks on offense from what I've seen, it, it's so impressive. And the fact that he's a really good defender. He's like a very solid two-way player. Um, like I-, I was worried that's the kind of guy that like John Morant has struggled with. John Morant has had some issues with like De'Aaron Fox and Drew Holiday and Ben Simmons before. Um, guards who uh, attack a lot off the dribble but are also pretty solid defenders. And I feel like I see that in Shea, that he is a, a good two-way player. Um, on Fast Break Breakfast, we were doing our all-star selections recently, and there, there was some hotly debated, I guess it was basically because Anthony Davis, we assumed, wasn't going to play in the all-star game, and we got down to that next rung. We're like, is it Shea? Is he the 12th guy? And, you know, uh, I, my co-host John, I think, included Shea on his all-star team as maybe, like, the last guy in. So, like, I, I've been extremely impressed with Shea Gildas Alexander. I mean, my question is, if you guys are tearing it down, why not, you know, trade him? Get, get some good picks, right? <laughs> you guys want picks. That's all you guys want, right? There you go. Yeah, no, I. you want picks. I think Shea's probably going to be around for the long haul. That being said, uh, Sam Presti has pulled stuff out of his hat that I did not see coming before. So anything I think is on the table. Uh, but I would be pretty shocked if they, if they dealt Shea just because how young he still is and how promising he still is. Like you said, he likes to get into the paint. Um, he, he's become a better three point shooter, but this kid, I don't know what his stats will be for be on the season after tonight, but before tonight he was like 51% from the field and like 38% from three, just like uber efficient. Um, and so I think that's been a, a real evolution of his game. A couple of other young guys I wanted to talk about real quick. Um, rookie, 19-year-old point guard Teo Maladone uh, gets the start tonight. He This is his second game back from COVID protocol as well. He goes 4 of 5 from 3, 14 points, 5 rebounds, 2 assists. He did have 3 turnovers. But what in watching tonight, kind of what are what are your feelings on what you saw from the the young French point guard? I, I assume this is probably your first time to watch him this season. No, actually, so I for fast break breakfast we run a negative fantasy league 
where you uh, you get points for missed shots, but also for playing time. And uh, I drafted Tio Maladon, uh, so I, I'd been watching him a bit this year. So I know he's been in and out of the lineup. Um, tonight he hurt me because he made four <laughs> out of five threes, which is bad in our negative fantasy league. He had a very nice game tonight, so I'm not super happy about that. But, uh, no, I mean, I've been impressed. I mean, I haven't seen him. I want to say I've probably seen him in four games, and I've been a little bit impressed. And uh, I don't know, like, what the ceiling is or what the expectation is, but especially tonight, like, he just looks so solid and comfortable and under control. And his three-point shot, I mean, he's a guy I've never heard of, basically, until the NBA draft. Uh, He looks so comfortable, and the form looks so good that it does seem promising. But, I mean, he's still still someone I'm just getting to know. So I, I don't have anything definitive on him. Definitely, yeah. I mean, and the, I mean, Thunder fans have only watched him for what twenty games now, so still a filling out process. But so far over the season, I've kind of got the same vibe that you just mentioned. He's very poised and under control. Uh, he's almost, I would describe him as conservative as a point mm-hmm. guard. He doesn't try to make super flashy plays. He doesn't throw the behind the back pass or the cross court pass or this or that. He's he plays very very within himself, um, which is kind of surprising for a nineteen year old. You know, if I was a 19-year-old that just got drafted and is getting 34 minutes of playing time in an NBA game. I'm putting up everything that touches my hands. Yeah. So, you know, shouts to him. He he played well. Uh, and then I really – well, before we get to to maybe the, the main course tonight with the Thunder uh, and the Grizzlies, I got to ask you because I think he's becoming just a fan favorite across the NBA. Will you just tell me some nice things about Lugens Dort? <laughs> he's fearless. He, and it's a fun name to say. Those oh, are, yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, no, I mean, Dort has been... So, I mean, actually, Dort, I'm, like, interested in him and the entire, I guess, Thunder strategy kind of franchise, D, I guess, uh, throughout the franchise to just kind of give these guys, like, the keys to the car and just say, do whatever you want, basically. Like, it feels a little bit that way. I mean, like most people, I think, you know, we watched the playoffs last year, and we saw Dort go head-to-head with James Harden, and we're impressed with his defense there. There was the game earlier in the year where Dort, you know, played some great defense on LeBron James, and we're impressed by him. That clip has been played so much, it makes me so happy. Yeah. the, The Dort on LeBron. Yeah, and it's great, but then also it just seems like he is has been given this green light to just do whatever he wants on offense and i don't know if that's like is like if that's the best development it might be the best development we also see it with darius Baisley, uh you know who like last year i was pretty enamored with um some of the flashes he showed and i think i was following thunder fans in the playoffs last year where they were like why isn't Baisley on the court for these for these big moments in the playoffs but this season it feels like they're saying hey go play 30 minutes and just shoot as much as you want and Perhaps that is like a good development plan, but like I've I've been I guess somewhat confused, uh, just as a general basketball fan, you know, or league pass fan, flipping channels. And when I watch Thunder games, I'm like, they really let these guys just do whatever they want. Yeah, I feel like Lugens Dort, especially in these past few weeks where Shea Gilgis Alexander has missed time, uh, has become more aggressive offensively. He Surprisingly enough, he is not afraid to shoot the ball, which is not something you could say, coincidentally enough, about Thunder shooting guards in the past. All you have to do is bring up Andre Robertson, right? The guy, I love Andre to death, but that man was scared shitless of shooting a jump shot. 
Lou does not fit that mold at all. Like he will put up anything. He's a very, very confident guy. And I feel like sharing the court with only, I mean, the Thunder for the past two weeks have been playing like eight guys because that's all they have healthy and available. Lou's been forced into a little more of an offensive role where he, he's kind of had to take that on. And, you know, I, I, I agree with you. I think part of it, maybe it's a good thing. It allows him to have the freedom to try things a little bit more. But sometimes it, it kind of gets to where he's a little out of control as well. And you want maybe more of a uh, an environment around him where he's filling a role rather than just playing pickup hoops for yeah. lack of a lack of a better term. But okay, so, so let's move on. I wanted to talk because you and I had this discussion last year. So I figured we'd bring it full circle. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Last year, 2019 draft, Darius Baisley and Brandon Clark uh, essentially get traded for one another. The, the Grizzlies traded with the Thunder to move up to snag Brandon Clark. Mm-hmm. Thunder draft Darius Baisley. And for all of last season, it looked like Brandon Clark just by far the superior player uh, as far as minutes, impact, um, scoring, efficiency, all that kind of stuff. Um, with the caveat that there there is about a four to five year age gap between these two guys. Going into this season now, and, and for how many games Memphis has played, what have you seen from Brandon Clark this year? Uh, and have you seen him take that step that I think a lot of Memphis fans were hoping that he could progress into? No, I, I don't think the step has happened. I mean... The big story with Brandon Clark this year is he changed his shooting form on his jumpers, and it's been a lot. It's been a source of a lot of consternation for Grizzlies fans because his like last year he set all these records for efficiency and true shooting percentage, and he basically shot you know over sixty percent from the field. He was close to forty percent from three before the Orlando bubble, uh, and he he shot. I can't remember what it was from from the free throw line, but like he. It, it, some points of the season last year, he was like 60, 40, 80. And we were like, this is the most efficient big man ever. And we thought he was going to be offensively limited. And so the expectations got very, very high. Like per minute last year, he was basically like a Montrez Harrell where it's like, if you know, he's averaging 12 and 8, but he's only doing it in 20 minutes per game. So I think expectations got a bit high and Grizzlies fans were feeling really good about the, you know, the decision to trade, uh, you know, to not take like someone like Baisley, even though Baisley is super young. And then this season, 
because of the shooting woes, all of a sudden he's no longer efficient at all. Like his floater percentage has gone way down. His finishing at the rim, which is basically unrelated to his shooting form, like that's gone down. His free throw percentage is way down. So all those numbers are way down offensively, and it's kind of like, I don't know, lowered the ceiling somewhat. We're like, this is not the uber-efficient guy that we thought we were getting. However, defensively, he's kind of caught up to the speed of the game, where last year he looked a little tentative. He seemed like he played small. This season, he's been a much better defender. So, I mean, I guess there's like a give and take, where offensively, last season, it seemed like maybe he was preternaturally gifted at scoring, and this year that hasn't been the case. So, like, you lower your expectation there, but he has picked up a lot um, on the defensive end. Very good. And he, yeah, you said, quote, he has not been very efficient this year. And I'm looking at his stats from tonight. Yeah, five of eight from the field, two of two from three. He's a stat, stat sheet stuffer, man. Six rebounds, two assists, two steals, two blocks, two turnovers, a little bit of everything for him tonight. Um, but yeah, so and then the guy he got traded for, Darius Baisley. Uh, Baisley actually had one of his better games of the season tonight. Started off very inefficient. Got, a, uh, I think, a couple of garbage time buckets tonight, which helped out his percentages. But Baisley, 50% from the field, 50% from three tonight, had 18 points, seven rebounds, and two assists. You mentioned earlier, Keith, that you were kind of interested in Baisley and his development at such a young age on kind of some of the flashes he showed last year. Uh, anything you've seen from Baisley this year uh, that gives you hope in him moving forward? Because his season has been a roller coaster. There's games where he goes for like 22 and 15 and there's games where he goes for like six and four and is super inefficient. And it's just been up and down and up and down for this kid. So what have you seen from Baisley based off of kind of what you're mentioning about what you saw from him last year? Well, I think a stat I remember from a grits and grinds episode was that the, like the three big men at the bottom of the true shooting percentage heap in the NBA it, it was LaMarcus Aldridge, Darius Baisley, and Brandon Clark. Like, those guys had the three worst uh, <laughs> true shooting percentages. It was basically for, like, all centers and power forwards. And so, like, what I've seen from Baisley this year is a guy who has been given this freedom or maybe an encouragement to do a ton. And I, I what again, like, maybe I've watched five Thunder games. I find it slightly distasteful. Like, it seems like he's shooting too much and he's trying to do too many things. And it isn't like... I preferred it more when he was playing alongside maybe better players. Like maybe, I mean, obviously Chris Paul makes everyone look good. And so like maybe I, I preferred that version last year and the volume shooting I've seen from him. And I think I've caught most of the games where he got like four rebounds. I, 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 I mean, I've seen in fantasy basketball leagues like, oh, he had 12 rebounds last night. But I feel like the games I watched were like four rebounds, five rebounds. Tonight, I mean, as you said, a great game, uh, knocking down his three-pointer. So like... I, whatever excitement I saw in flashes last year has been actually um, dampened a little bit as well. And maybe that's just a, a, a broad lesson for everyone. You get super excited about rookies, and then the more you watch them, the more you learn. You're like, okay, maybe this player isn't going to be um, an all-time great. You know, Maybe they're just going to be a rotation player or something. So I'm curious, like, what's your take as someone who covers the Thunder? Like, Has your enthusiasm dampened or waned at all about Baisley this year? Um, yeah, it's kind of been like his play. It's been up and down. It's funny that you, that you mentioned, you know, as the more you watch a guy, maybe he won't be an all time great. It's like, yeah, maybe there is a reason both these guys got drafted in the right. mid twenties. <laughs> right, right. You know, yeah, yeah. maybe, maybe GMs know what they're doing. Um, 
I had high hopes for Baisley, especially coming in to this season. Just the he has the prototypical theoretical skill set that you want a power forward to have. He's lanky. He can shoot a jumper. He can grab off the off the rim and dribble down the court. He can make decisions. But this season, I think not only on the court, but just in the locker room and just kind of generally in life, he's been given a lot more responsibility. This is a team that he came into last year with vets like Steven Adams and Chris Paul and Dennis Schroeder and guys that have been in the league for a very long time. And then now all those guys are gone. And he's been thrust more into a leadership role. Uh, obviously, Al Horford and George Hill are the you know the vets on this team. But guys like Shea Gilgis-Alexander, Darius Baisley, Lou Dort are, are kind of the, the mainstays, the guys that are getting the most minutes, uh, kind of seen as the, the future of the franchise in a way. And so I think that adds a lot of pressure to them. And Baisley has, like I said, he's had some games where he shows flashes where I think, wow, he's he's got some tools. He could be something. And then he's got some games where he really just craps the bed as well. But the biggest worry for me is just the the inefficiency and the up and down of his season. He On games like tonight where he plays well, and I saw it from him tonight, it's like he's playing off instinct. And on games where he struggles, you can really see like the wheels turning in his head that he's thinking the game too much. Oh, do I shoot? Do I pass? Should I dribble? Should I jab step here? Should I spin? What should I do there? Where do I need to rotate on defense? It's like the wheels are still turning and the, he, the game is still a little too fast for him. With that being said, this is a kid that didn't play any college ball. And maybe just like uh, Brandon, maybe this part of the reason Brandon Clark has had a bit of a regression this year as well. These guys came into the league. They had half half to two-thirds of an NBA season before um, a COVID shutdown, which is like the first time in league history. They don't get a summer league this past summer. The timeline's all botched. This year they're doing, you know, these crazy like baseball series and the travel is weird. And there's there's no fans in arenas and, you know, a lot of players are getting sat out because of COVID protocols. They've had a really rough two first years in the league, and I wonder how much that plays into the struggle for development as well. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I think there's some guys who you thought maybe the long break, they'd add a lot more to their game, and then it's just like a mix and match. Like, there's some guys, you know, do they not, whatever, take advantage of the off time? Maybe they needed more of the structure of team activities and a summer league, and someone like Baisley, who's much younger, maybe he would have benefited more from that and like like you said last year you know playing alongside you know Steven Adams and some veterans like I, I'm a big fan of that and I was joking earlier about trading Shea Gilders Alexander because I think I guess philosophically I feel like for teams that are growing and want to be good having good players around and playing is super important like I think having Al Horford and George Hill not just as people you're dangling in a trade or holding out all the time you know just because maybe you want to trade them like actually having those guys involved and playing um, might be a path to building like a winning culture and getting the development you want to see among your young players like I feel like Baisley playing alongside George Hill and Shea Gilders Alexander and Al Horford it's going to make him a lot better versus playing alongside Isaiah Roby and you know Dort and everybody just playing 30 minutes a night for those young guys yeah no I totally agree and we saw the effect of Chris Paul and and that leadership uh, all season long last year and you know I I couldn't 
the only way I could describe my perception of Chris Paul is just incredibly impressed with his, not even his on the court stuff, just his leadership in general. And then bringing in a guy this year uh, and Al Horford, who I think kind of has some of those same values and is just a, a really, really solid locker room guy, a culture setter, um, a, a mentor to these young guys. Yeah. I mean, at the end of the day, if the Thunder get an offer to trade for Al Horford, like to get something for him, will they do it? Yes, I think so. But having, like you said, having those guys in the locker room, having these professionals that have been there, that who, who have been through playoff series, who kn- know what they're doing, not only on the court, but can be a, a real, not just a leader, but a mentor to young men in the locker room as well, I think pays uh, massive dividends. And so, um, no, I'm I'm totally with you on that, and I think that's maybe why you're why you're seeing some of these younger guys on the Thunder struggle a little bit more this year. When you take really good vets off the team, obviously uh, more responsibility gets put on their shoulders, and they struggle a little bit because of it because of those growing pains. So, yeah. Um, all right, Keith. Well, I promised you about 30 minutes, and we are right there. Uh, any other thoughts on this Thunder versus Grizzlies game before we get out of here? No, put some respect on Kyle Anderson's name. The man's incredible. Slow-mo. I mean, slow-mo has erupted into this, like, game-changing player. I mean, you saw it tonight. He had, what, 20 and 5, 5, 5? That's five insane. Five steals. I mean, That's he's insane, been, yeah. He's been insane. I think over the last seven games, he's averaging 18 points per game. He's shooting 47% from three. I love Kyle Anderson, and I did not see this season's eruption coming. I am dying every night with how good Kyle Anderson is playing. It's, <laughs> yeah, tonight. It, yeah, it's just a gift. <laughs> tonight, 64% from the field, 66 from three, 66 from the free throw line. Crazy efficient. Like you mentioned, five steals. That's uh, Yeah, he's the uh, 35th player in NBA history to record uh, 25 5, five uh, in under 30 minutes. So, wow, that's impressive. When you're and playing against 21-year-olds, it gets easier, I guess. <laughs> he's. I, I don't think this will be perceived as a slight. I hope it's not. But whenever you watch him play, it's like you don't see those numbers racking up. They kind of just happen, you know, which I think kind of lends itself to his nickname, the slow-mo, Yeah. right? It's yeah. just, you know, you don't really see a lot of those things happening while they're on the court, but at the end of the day, uh, he racks up those stats. He Plus 15 on the night. He was he was really, really good. So, all right, well, Keith, man, thank you so much for joining us tonight. I really appreciate you hopping on with us. If you guys don't already, make sure you go check out Keith's work, uh, his podcast, Fast Break Breakfast and Grits and Grinds. Great, great stuff. Keith, appreciate you, man. Thanks, Jacob. We will be back with you guys again Friday night after the Thunder take on the Milwaukee Bucks. Until then, stay healthy, stay safe, stay warm. Put on hoodies, some gloves. Uh, Don't go outside. That snow is deep. We will talk to you soon. And as always, Thunder up. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash blue wire. 
No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.